grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of James. And I want to ask you the question, if you have ever, have you ever, have you ever done anything at some point in your life that you tried to hide from other people? I mean, perhaps it's, you know, dark and dirty. Perhaps it's something that's a little bit lighter. Have you ever, have you ever done something, done that thing where you're like, man, I don't want, I don't want anyone to hear about this. And, and it almost creates an awkward tension in your conversations. On a lighter note, I remember a day back when I was seven or eight, uh, my sister and I uh, hung out a lot. We were homeschooled. And so one of the delights that we would do would be to run out to the mailbox and see our mailman, Keith. And every time we would meet Keith at the mailbox, he would give us a stick of juicy fruit gum. And it was a highlight of my, really my childhood. That's where I was at. Um, but we would go get juicy fruit, and my sister was six or seven, uh, she was younger than me, she would get juicy fruit. And one of the consistent themes in her life was to get that juicy fruit stuck in her hair. And it happened often enough that my mom was like, no more, okay? You might be able to chew gum at some point in your life, but it has to be in front of me, okay? And so my sister wasn't allowed to. And so in the next week, we got out to the mailbox in time. Keith was there, and he greeted us, and he gave us a juicy fruit. So naturally, we chewed it. And almost naturally, my sister got it in her hair. And so I, being the helpful, loving brother, said, you know, we can fix this. We can work with this. So we tried various methods of balling it up and trying to, like, you know, move it to the side or move it up. And that really just spread the problem, okay? I'm speaking to you, the children in this room, too. Like, don't do this. Learn from my mistake, all right? So from one mistake to the next, I decided I'm going to go get the art box. We can solve this problem. And so I went and grabbed the art box. Naturally, I looked for the sharpest scissors. That was yellow. And I pulled it out, and I saw my barber do something with two fingers, and I just cut it off. Now, it was the 80s, and bangs were a pretty big deal. Uh, and my sister had no bangs when I was complete. And so it was afterward that we determined, like, this, we're not going to hide this from mom. So we committed to my sister wearing a hoodie for at least the next two years of her life. And uh, she proceeded to sit with a hoodie for two or three days. We kept it hidden. And, you know, it's funny, but, like, it created all kinds of tension in our home. It's strange. Like, we spent a lot of time outside playing and doing stuff with our neighbors, but when we also spent a lot of time with our mom, okay? And my sister is sitting there all this time with this hoodie on, just all the time. Like, all the time there's a hoodie. And, and it created strain. Like, we couldn't talk to my mom because we were both guilty. I mean, we were guilty. And so we would have conversations with my mom. It was kind of like, all right, get me out of this room. How can I get out of this room? Because she's probably seeing right through me right now. And finally, like, I don't remember all the conversations, but I remember my mom saying, like, it seems like you guys are so distant. Is everything okay? And she grabs my sister's hoodie and pulls it off. And I'm here. I survived. I survived the punishment, the wrath of my mother. And she said I cut very straight. I just want you to know that, okay? Um, but, but it created tension in our relationship. For those couple days, we spent time trying to figure out, like, how do I get away from her? How do I not say something that starts, you know, like, I'm afraid I'm going to start talking about digging in the gum. I mean, the dirt, the dirt. I was digging in the dirt, right? It, it, was, it was a tension. And I was trying to, we were trying to cover it up. We were trying to hide it. We were not free in front of, our, in front of our mom because we knew that we might accidentally say something or she would figure out this thing that we had done. 
And so that's, that is a humorous story. And kids, don't try that at home. But um, when is the time that we've done that in our own life? And you think of a time, perhaps you've hidden something from your spouse, some money you spent, some sin you dabbled in. Um, and, and does it translate in your life over to God? Or is there anything in your life that has come up in your life where you're like, man, if, if he knows about that, he's going to be ashamed of me. Is he going to want me to be a part of this family of God? I better just kind of hold, hold back. And in the same way as, you know, you just kind of like engage God because he's God. I mean, I should talk to him and I'm a Christian, right? I should engage God. But if I go too deep with God, he might, he might press in. He might challenge this area of my life. You know, we do it with personal relationships. Like when I've offended somebody, I probably don't want to spend a lot of time with them, right? Because maybe I'm hiding it or maybe it's been more overt. But nonetheless, there's a, there's a tension there. Whether we'll talk about it or not, there's something that's straining our relationship, stretching our relationship. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Like, can we impact our relationship with God? And it's important because we're talking about a series of prayer, 30 days of prayer. Is there anything that can hinder our prayers, folks? And if so, what is it? Like, let's bring this out into the light. So turn with me to the book of James in your Bible. And I'd like to start in James chapter 4. I'm excited that we're going to be going through James here in a little bit. Um, But uh, we're going to get full context and all that stuff in that series. But we're just going to kind of jump into James chapter 4. And James is one of the most practical books in the Bible. If you want to think of how do I live in light of the gospel... James is a great place to go. And so James starts right off the bat here in chapter 4 talking about our two, two most important things, our relationships with people and relationship with God. So let's read here a little bit. James chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. We're going to pause right there. Our passions are at war within us. And for us, like in our homes, like we want creation to give us what creator offers, okay? Now, some of you are like, I just wanted a glass of water. I just wanted the car to be clean or the yard to be mowed or the bushes to be trimmed. I wasn't thinking of soul-level peace. But when you think about some of the fruit, some of the things that have happened, like you think about this week, okay? Think about this week, that situation, right? That engaged, created some ruffled feathers maybe. Sure, maybe it was over a glass of water, Maybe it was over watching TV or gaming too long. Sure. But like, what is at the root of that problem? Like, dig deeper. What is at the root of that problem? Is it you want control? Is it you wish they would just shut their mouths and listen? Or is it deeper than that? And that's what I think James is driving at here. These tensions, these quarrels that we have continuously in our marriages in our friendships, with our boss, you know, they're happening because we're not asking the right person. There is somebody that gives eternal peace. There is somebody that is sovereignly in control of absolutely everything. 
We ought to go to him. Not expecting first creation to be a savior. And so when we go to creation and say, like, give me peace, give me satisfaction, we're going to come up empty. Again, it's, it's all these fruit, right? So many little things. It's, it's water, it's sexual, it's peace, it's comfort, right? There's all these things at the surface, but they, they lead to a root. And God gets to the root of the problem. And when we expect from creation these deep level things, we're going to come up empty handed and it's going to cause quarrels and fights among us. Now, by God's grace, um, we often don't murder. Not many of us have, have done that. That's good. Stay that way. Okay. But if you ever watch a murder mystery or watch some detective show on TV, you're going to find that these situations start here. They start, start at the deception of the heart. They start at being discontented with what creation has given us rather than being satisfied with what creator has given to us. It starts there. We covet and we cannot obtain, so we fight and we quarrel. And James says pretty pointedly, like, you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Okay? One, we ask for things from creation rather than going to creator. That's a serious issue. Your spouse cannot help you at the deepest level. And all of us are wrestling at the absolute deepest level. Now, the world will offer you temporary trappings, right? You can numb your pain with a bottle of alcohol for a couple of hours. You can take some drugs. You can have sex. You can get pleasure. You can lock yourself in a room and not talk to any people. You can get pleasure for a season, but what is something that will last through all the seasons? We need to go to ask God. But here he talks about even prayers not being answered. You ask wrongly. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And let me tell us, folks, like, let me tell you, folks, like, God is not going to give you something to fuel your idolatry. God is not going to give you something that fuels your idolatry. God is not going to give you something that competes with him. He's not going to bless it. He's not going to work through it. He's not going to have any business with it. God isn't going to support us worshiping another God. So if you go to verse 4, it says this, You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. And this word enmity means hatred. And hatred means a deep-seated ill will towards God. Friendship with the world creates a deep-seated ill will towards God. Now, when I was raised and you talked about the world, it was always like the bars. Like, if you go to the bars, you're part of the world. In my world, it was if you go to the movies, you're part of the world. But oftentimes, like, we've kind of moved past that. And, but that we don't realize that friendship with the world is being angry like the world is angry. Like, the scriptures call us to, in our anger, not to sin. And many of us sin in our anger. We are friends with the world through our anger, right? God calls us to live differently. We grieve, but we have hope 
Like, let us not grieve as if we don't have hope, right? But many of us grieve losses or we don't grieve losses. And when we look at our grief, there's no hope involved whatsoever. That's, that's friendship with the world. The world has an alternative option to everything that God offers us. And God says, I will give you, like, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my teaching, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And we're like, no, I just, I just need to be entertained right now. And we, in that way, are friends with the world. And that friendship, again, is hatred towards God. You can't avoid this text. It's very, very punchy. It's ill-willed hatred toward God. And so do you think that impacts your prayer life? Do you think that deep-seated ill-will towards God might impact the answering of your prayers? Now, I know that none of us act as enemies of God. We're not dressing up like in some demonic sense or we're going out there to be like, I'm just going to beat God, right? Because we're church people. And James is writing to church people too. He's writing to the dispersion that have been scattered since Babylon had raided Israel and the Israel blew up and went to different parts of the world or were hauled off to different parts of the world. He's talking to the chosen people of God. He's talking to them and he's saying like, have you been caught up in this? Are there closets deep within your heart where you are not fighting sin? Where you've got it covered? My sister had a problem. She had no bangs. Or they were like an inch long, okay? But basically she had none. And so we hid it under a hoodie. And you know what? She looked great under a hoodie. Nothing looked suspicious. She was a kid out keeping warm in the fall air. But underneath the hoodie, there was a problem. There was a problem there. Is that how we run our Christian life? Your hands work and your feet work and you come and you worship, but you're worshiping in a hoodie saying, God, don't look under the hood. I've got a secret that I'm hiding from you. I did something wrong and I'm hiding it from you. And it's interesting, like when we come and talk to sin, like talk about sin, it's not that, it's just that you have a rap sheet. Maybe you have a rap sheet and God's grace is sufficient for you. But it's also this tension of like doubt. If you look at Adam and Eve, they were put into a garden in Genesis chapter 2. They were created, put in a garden, everything is furnished for them. In chapter 3, they're deceived by a serpent, the devil. And after that deception, like they they. They believe, they doubt the word of God. The God that they had just walked with recently. They're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's holding back from us. They doubt the word of God. And what does this find them doing? The next time God shows up, they're hiding in the bushes. Right? So this doubt is an issue that has broken or challenged their relationship with God. They don't greet God and say, Father, we made a mistake. Help us. And it would have been awesome to see what God would have done. Had they met him at the road and said, Father, we've sinned, or we've done something wrong, help us. But rather, they they choose to hide in the bushes, having made clothes out of the leaves, as if they're going to hide from him. That's relational funkiness. That's broken. right? Or you have Saul, the first king of Israel. And Saul is wanting to go to battle. He's ready to go fight. 
And the word of the Lord said he should wait for Samuel to come and build an offering and offer it to the Lord and hear from the Lord as to how they should fight. And Saul's waiting and he's waiting. I think if I recall correctly, he waits three days. He's like, where is Samuel? I've seen them build this altar before. I will build the altar. So Adam and Eve doubted and Saul took control of something he should not have took control of. That is sinful. And Saul says, I will make an altar and I will produce an offering. And Saul does. And ironically, isn't it? As soon as he does this, Samuel shows up. It creates relational tension, separation from Yahweh. God rejects Saul from that point on. Lastly, there's a story of a rich young ruler. And I'm thinking of Luke. It's in three of the Gospels, right? But he says, Jesus, I want to be one of your disciples. Let me follow you. And Jesus says, you know, have you followed the Ten Commandments? And he's like, yeah, I've done all that stuff. I've been awesome. And Jesus dials in immediately on his idol. Like there is no holding back. Jesus says, hey, go sell all that you have and give, it, give your money to the poor. And he's like, what? I mean, I have made so many sacrifices following the Ten Commandments. Are you kidding me? I have saved. I have watched what I spent on. I have the best of the best. And you want me to go and sell it and just give it to the poor? No. Can't do that. And this rich young ruler like gives up discipleship with Jesus Christ because of his stuff. That is sinful. Okay, so notice in none of these stories, like none of them have murdered, done meth, or committed some insane sin other than rejecting God through doubt, through control, and through their stuff. They love their stuff more than Jesus. He loved his stuff more than Jesus, right? Let's go to the book of Psalms, chapter 66, and talk about how sin uh, damages our relationship with God. Verse 18, Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity, if I had looked at or meditated on iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. This is David talking. Right? David has called out to God. And David shares with us, like, if I had held on to iniquity, if I had hoarded evil or set my eyes on evil, God doesn't encourage that. God doesn't encourage that. God, in fact, he, he hates evil. But let's go on here. Let's go to First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A calling to husbands, to lead, to love, to cherish, to care for your bride, right? And I think in marriage it's always interesting because we have so many tensions and so many problems with our spouse, and we want them to change. So we're like, change them, change them, change them. Well, we harbor sin in our own heart. This is the one verse that most clearly states that if you harbor sin in your heart, even against your spouse, your your prayers are going to be hindered. They're going to be stopped. They're going to be not listened to. Let that shake you to the core. 
Like those things, you're praying for your kids and you're praying that your wife will cooperate, but you're holding on to pornography in your heart and you're, you have your little evening sessions for your own pleasure to relieve your stress and it's damning up your relationship with God. The two can't coexist. Let's go to the next text, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 8 through 9. The sacrifice of the wicked, it's an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. And perhaps you were raised where only one sin was really an abomination, and I want to expand your definition of that. Sin is an abomination to Yahweh, to the Lord. If I tell a lie, if the thing was red and I say it was blue, that is called a lie. If I told my wife... I was going to be home at 3.30 and I get home at 4 and I don't tell her why. That's an abomination to the Lord. If I tell my spouse something other that isn't true, if I tell my children something other that isn't true, that is an abomination. Like let's, I'm not trying to lower your view of any sins. I'm trying to raise our view of sin. Will this kind of stuff have an impact on our relationship with God? It does. It does have an impact on our worship. It does have an impact on how we treasure God. And perhaps you read these texts or hear these texts and you're like, well, do I just need to be better? I just need to be more good. And, And that's not the calling here, I think, on us. It's not just to be good, but the calling is for relationship. Sin is an area of our life where we are not trusting God. Whether it be with our pleasure, whether it be, did God give me this spouse on purpose? Yes, he did for your sanctification and for your growth. Did God cause me to, why why do I have this addiction? Because God is growing you and challenging you and shaping you. It's not just about being good or being better so that God will give. So that God will do. We're not in a game of where we manipulate God to give us this because we did that. God, look at what I did. My kids. My kids have Nintendo Switches. And so they'll come in. They'll be like, Dad, I did the dishes. And I'll be like, why'd you bring that up? Did I miss something? Like, well, do you think I could maybe get 15 minutes on the Switch? I'm like, I just want you to do the dishes. Because you live in this house. And I used to deal with your diapers. But it's not a give and take. It's not a give and take with God. It's not, God, I did these three things. Hear my prayer. God invites us. It's an invitation to us. Come to God. Worship God. Treasure God. When tempted, lean into your spouse. When tempted, don't take the temporary route. And it's important that we don't see it as a give and take But it's about treasuring God all the time, even when nobody's watching. So the point isn't to do better so your prayers will be heard. The calling is to treasure him in all areas so that your prayers will be an overflow of your relationship with God. Your prayers will be an overflow of your relationship with God. And this is challenging because some of us talk to our dogs, right? Our relationship has moved past feeding him food and going on a walk, we're like, hi, baby, how are you? How was your day? Did you eat the cookie? 
You know, like that's what we do, right? And we have this engaging interaction with something so much more important than your dog. We have the opportunity to bring to him. When the world offers us shortcuts, we have the opportunity to say, God, I took a shortcut. Help me trust your plan. God, I, I, I'm worried about my kids and I just want to protect them. But I know you protect them. God, help me trust you when I make the plans for my family. Listen, hindered prayers are the result of loving sin more than loving God. Hindered prayers happen, and they're a result of loving sin over loving godliness. Or to put it positively, God hears the prayers of his humble, obedient followers. God hears the prayers. He hears the confession of saints who are like, God, I took a shortcut. Forgive me. Yes, come to me with those shortcuts. Come to me with those closets where you've hidden your pleasure in. Like, come, let's get them out. Get them out into the light. He's ready and willing to listen. He's ready and willing to give. And that's the challenge because some of us are like, this feels judgy. Judgment is always felt by those who are skeptical of freedom. And this is an invitation of God. He's not waiting to punch you in the face for making making a mistake. Hebrews talks about Jesus walked a mile in our shoes. He's been tempted as we were. He understands the temptation to take the shortcut. But his grace is sufficient for us. Let's go to James chapter 4. What do we do with this? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So picture this, like you're saved, right? You're doing your thing. God moves into your heart. And the father wants to have a sweeping, awesome relationship with his spirit that is in you, unhindered by sin. And that spirit is going to be convicting and working in you, transforming your life helping you and pointing you to the sufficiency of God's plan over the temporary plan. And God likes that. He yearns for the relationship with his spirit that's in you and wants it unhindered by sin. But he gives more grace, verse 6 says. He gives more grace. He understands where we're coming from. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Sin is a way of me trying to please myself over God. Sin is me saying in some way, whether it be sexually, whether it be with addiction, whether it be with control, whether it be with anxiety, whether it be with anger, bitterness, resentment, like you fit your thing in there. Sin is like, God, I got this. I'll make myself happy. I'll, I'll take care of this part. You just stay away. Ugh, God, I got this, right? That's proud. That's pride. You don't got this. You don't understand it like God Almighty does, right? God opposes this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, unmerited favor to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. As a result of this, let's submit to God. Let's resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There was a point after hacking my sister's hair off, that I was so afraid of rejection by my mom. 
I mean, a true letdown, something that would take months and months to replace. But I was loved. My mom loved me. The discipline was love to help teach me some greater things. How much greater is God's love for you when you pull the hood off? Say, I messed up. I'm holding on to sin. I needed a quick fix. God loves perfectly. Draw near to him, and guess what? He, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Like how, do, how do I draw near, right? How do I draw near to God, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, right? Let's acknowledge that I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. My nature, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. That old life, it comes up and it badgers me. Sometimes it kicks my butt. Uh, Paul says in Romans 7, he's like, I don't understand what I do. For what I hate to do, I keep doing. Right? There's that plea, but like, watch yourself, Christian. Fight sin, never just give up and let it rain, right? Purify your hearts, lean into God. Think of Philippians 4 where it talks about thinking about things that are true and right and pure. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This concept of double-minded is I'm going to worship God and I'm going to do my thing over here. I'm going to worship God and I'm, I'm going to keep this. That, that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. In fact, in verse 5, it talks about us being adulterous. No spouse encourages the other to go find somebody else. That shouldn't be. That's the opposite of a good relationship. Nor does God, through prayer, encourage you to find some idol and thrive on it. It's not going to work. Like, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. Like, be sick and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Sin is something to take seriously. It needs to be put off. In fact, Colossians 3 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It needs to be killed. So that's what it looks like. Our prayers are hindered because of sin. And the relationship is opened again through confession, through the cleansing of hands, through the purifying of hearts from double-mindedness, through grief when we mourn our sin. Our relationship with the Father is reunited. When we come to God and say, God, I've been hiding something under my hoodie. You already know, but I want to tell you, help me. I need you. God, I confess my sin. God isn't waiting to punch you in the face. I don't know how you were raised, but perhaps you were raised with that idea in mind that God's just waiting for you to screw up. And that's, that's not. He's waiting to invite you to freedom. Come to the light. Come to the light. Come to the light. Come out. Stop hiding. When me and my sister were hiding her hair, it was a stressful couple days for an eight-year-old. How do we not get caught? How do we not get caught? And yet we as adults do that regularly. How do I not get caught? How do I not not tell my spouse? How do I not tell my connection group? How do I not? I don't want God to know. Like, nobody can know. 
And the invitation isn't that he's going to punch you in the face. Certainly there might be some consequences. But the invitation is come to a better plan. Come to a better play. Like be free. Stop running. Stop hiding in the bushes. Like come out. Come out. And so we're going to enter a time of communion now. And we're going to do it a little differently this time. We want to invite you to confess your sin. Now, there are sins that you might struggle with day in and day out, but I wonder if there's some of you who have sin that you've never told anybody. Whatever it is, there is a piece of paper and a pen on the chair in front of you, unless you're in the front row there on the floor there. We want to invite you to write out a confession for two purposes. One, it's important to involve community in my life. Community is the body of Christ. So one, I want you to write it and I want you to confess your sin to God. That is the most important relationship. If sin is hindering your prayers, let's be free of that. Let's accept the invitation to give our sin to God, to open the doorway, to free the relationship, to walk in and say, I got no bangs, but she loves me. I cut the bangs and she loves me. Let's be free. And then secondly, this might be a helpful way to tell somebody else. God doesn't show up and necessarily say, what you looking at? What you doing? Are you anxious? Right? I wish he would. And in a sense, he does. He shows up in my connection group. My connection group are the hands and feet of Christ. I have men who pursue me and ask me, like, where are your thoughts go? How was your week? Whether it was a good week or a bad week, how was your heart? And they are the hands and feet of Christ to me. This might be a time for you to confess to God and confess to your spouse, confess to your best friend, confess to the person sitting next to you. This might be a time to talk to a pastor because that sin is gobbling you up. But friend, I'm inviting you to freedom. So as we open this time of uh, communion Write it down. You might be a bullet point person. You might be a one word person. You might want to write a book. So you should start now. But write, confess your sin to God. And I strongly encourage you to confess your sin to somebody else. And then when the time is right, if you're able, bring your confession, bring your sin, whatever you put on there, bring it, bring it to the cross effectively. Bring it to the communion table. Rip it up. Crunch it up, yell at it if you want, I don't care, but there's trash cans with our communion tables today. Then bring it to Jesus and bury it in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why he came. He came so that sin would be defeated. So stop hiding in it. Come to the light. Let's pray. God, you are you're very good. God, and you are abundantly gracious to us, Lord. And we pray that you would liberate people from sin in their life. Perhaps it's the weekly battle. Certainly, God, forgive us, God. But I think of those, Lord, who are hiding more. Help them trust, Father, that you're not there to punch them, but you're there to invite them. God, you're there to take their burden. God, and you displayed it through your sacrifice on the cross. God, you paid the penalty for our sin. God, so that we can have hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we can be free. God, I pray for more freedom in our church. For a church that loves to confess and loves to adore the maker who who graciously forgave us. 
God, in a church that has a burden for our neighbors who are still caught in sin. God, liberate people. Open their eyes. Open their ears to see that you are worthy of praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.